you know, I hope all of you know, but I'm going to assume that at least most of you know, that back in January, we made some changes to our Constitution. Now, no theological changes, but just some changes to how the church runs and, and stuff like that. And as we were going through it, I realized something very important. Most of us, myself included, sadly, did not fully know our church's theological statements. What do we believe? What are our basic tenets of our, of our faith, of what we as First Baptist Church in Milford believe? So I said, well, why don't we look through them all? And then we can know, one, we can know, and two, we can know why we believe these things. And so that's what we're going to look through. There's eight, nine, ten of them, somewhere around there. Um, and each week we're going to handle one of them. Some of them we might still leave with, not questions, but maybe curiosity. For instance, at one point we're going to talk about the Trinity. In fact, that will be next week. And uh, the Trinity is quite difficult for us as humans to understand, right? One God, three persons, all acting, not acting, but all with different roles. Doesn't make sense to us quite, but we're going to talk about it a little bit and why we believe it. But today, so we're just going to walk through them. Uh, and, and if you have a constitution, and obviously you don't have to bring it or anything like that, but um, if you have a constitution, you can look through and see what we're going to do. And we're just going to walk right down through them. If you do have a constitution and want to know eventually, we're looking at Article 3, Statement of Faith. So to, we're going to look through it, and so today we're going to look at two different passages of Scripture that work with number one on that list, which is the Word of God. So that's why today is Constitution Part 1, Word of God. Let's take a look at it. We're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and then we're going to go to 2 Peter chapter 1, 19 through 21. Uh, that passage of Scripture is probably going to be a little bit less known, uh, but these first couple of verses are some verses that right we memorize when we're in Awana or, or whatever have you. These are like some of the verses that we, we get to know. Even if we don't understand them, we got to be able to memorize them because then you get a piece of candy at the end of the night for having the verses memorized. Let's read it, shall we? First, starting in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. And as always, it is up there on the, on the screen as well. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Your translation might say God breathed instead of inspired. We're going to talk about that. Let's flip over to 2 Peter chapter 1. And again, it's up there uh, as well. And that reads, so we have the prophetic word made sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp, shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Go ahead and go to the next slide for me, sir. Thank you. So... Every week I'm going to put up exactly what our Constitution says so that you can see what's actually written there. Let me read it. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God, fully inspired and without error in the original manuscripts, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that it has supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. So that's letter A under our statement of faith, the Word of God. Now here's the thing, and I'm going to touch on this at the end. I was not here. I'm not even sure if I was born when our statement of faith was written, 
But I'm very appreciative that the very first thing they started with was the word of God. Because all of the other pieces of our statement of faith, we draw from what this book says. And so it's important that if that's going to be our base, our foundation, that we believe what it says. And there's two major parts to, our, to what we believe when it comes to the Word of God, and we're going to look at each of those parts. So number one on your note sheets, number one on your note sheets, inspired Word. Inspired Word. All Scripture, we read that in Second in Timothy, right? All Scripture is inspired, or all Scripture is God-breathed. Now what does that mean? We believe that that means the 66 canonical books in our Bible. We do not believe that the Apocrypha is Scripture. We do not believe that the various letters written by Paul and Peter and others that do not appear in our, in our Bible are Scripture. We believe that the 66 books written in the Old, and, and, in Old Testament times and New Testament times, early church age, are inspired by God. Why don't we believe in the Apocrypha? Well, there's one major, major issue with the Apocrypha. Historically, it is incredibly inaccurate. Most of what it says, just quite frankly, didn't happen the way they said that it did. So if something is historically inaccurate, its basis for truth is wiped out. If what is written in the Bible, if you read something in the Bible, historically, don't throw out, obviously, but separate the theology of the Bible from the historical facts of the Bible for just a minute. If those historical facts are incorrect, then why should you believe anything else that it says? It's already proven it can't be trusted. Think about it. If somebody lies to you one time, you immediately lose some trust for them. So if the Bible, even in its simplest things, the historical things that we can physically prove is incorrect, then why believe the rest of it? Throughout time, there have been multiple people that have tried to prove historical inaccuracies in the Bible using archaeology and such. And all they find when they try to prove it wrong is that it is right. For hundreds of years, the, archaeolog the archaeological community believed that the group of people known as the Hittites did not exist. There was no archaeological evidence for them. They could not find the cities. They could not find a stamp that you know, would say Hittite, not obviously Hittite, but the, the, the Hebrew or, or ancient Aramaic word for it. And then, in a massive discovery, they found their major cities all throughout the Middle East. They said, well, the Bible has to be wrong because it talks about this group known as the Hittites and they don't exist. Well, turns out they do. That's just one example. And so that's one of the reasons we don't believe in the Apocrypha. It, it's not true. It's just not factually true. Therefore, how can you believe in its, any of its theological? And most of the Apocrypha is actually made up of histories. So if its basic thing is false, then we believe that it's false. We also believe that at the different councils in Nicaea, where the 66 books were chosen for our scripture, God inspired the men that were there to give us the books that he thought we would need. For instance, 
First and Second Corinthians is actually Second and Fourth Corinthians. They are Paul's second and fourth letters written to the church in Corinth. We don't have letters one and three. Why? God didn't think we need them. Perhaps they just reiterate stuff he had already written in other books, so God didn't think we would need those ones. Perhaps they were letters that so specifically apply to only Corinth that he went 2,000 years from now, they're not going to need those. Who knows what the reasoning is? Maybe those letters were a list of what Paul needed. I don't know. Either way, God said they do not need those two letters. They need these two letters. So we believe that these 66 canonical books are inspired by God or God breathed. If these men were moved by the Spirit, what does that mean? Does it mean that as they sat there with their pen in place or in the case of Paul in a few of his letters, he dictated it out because near the end of his life he was so blind, his eyes were so bad he couldn't see to write anymore, so he would dictate the letters to somebody else who would write them for him. Um, does it mean that the Holy Spirit was there and had the pen and was actually doing the writing? Not quite. What it means is that the Holy Spirit was directing them for what they're supposed to do. He's been doing that for 2,000 years. We don't write stuff as much anymore. But as the men and possibly women who were sitting there writing these letters, I don't think Paul knew that we would be reading his letter to Corinth 2,000 years from now. Or take today, his letter to Timothy, one of his closest friends and, an, and a, 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 a not, not apprentice, um, gosh, disciple of his, helping him learn, right? Uh, I don't think he knew we were going to be reading that letter. But God did. So God ensured that what was written there was exactly what we would need. That's what it means to be inspired. That's what it means to be God-breathed. The other thing is, the Bible cannot be your interpretation. There's a reason that we read the scripture first before we read what we wrote. Why? Because I do not want us at any point to read into Scripture what we want it to say. Scripture says what it says, and we base our life and our understanding off of it, never the other way around. We read that in the Second Peter passage, right, where he says, it's not, it's not man's interpretation. Now, you will bring parts of your own interpretation to it, right? We've all had different life experiences, We've all at different points in our lives. So scripture might mean something just a little bit different, or perhaps let's use a better word, deeper than what it meant to you even a week ago. It doesn't mean it has changed its meaning. It means you understand it deeper because of your life experience, and more importantly, because the Holy Spirit has allowed you to. I've said this before from up here, and I'll say it again now. The Bible never says more than it says. It does say more than you see. There's always something new to be learned. Just make sure you are actively fighting against putting your own interpretation onto Scripture. It interprets itself. It doesn't need you to be like, oh, well, I think it means this. But what does it actually mean? I really don't care what you think it means. What is Scripture saying? And then lastly, with this part, we read, right? And I love the way they word this because this is important. And I'm reading from our Constitution here. 
without error in the original manuscripts. Pastor, are you saying that your Bible has errors in it? You're darn right I am. Linguistic errors. If you have ever studied another language, even if it was in high school, you know that when something is translated to another language, words are added and taken away. For instance, in Spanish, you don't say the yellow bus. You say something along the lines of the bus of yellow or the bus that is yellow. Did I change the meaning? No. Did I add some words? Uh-huh. Now think about it, that this was written in languages long dead. There are linguistic errors in our scripture today. There are no theological errors. And the linguistic changes did not change any of what scripture means. But to sit there and go, well, my Bible has no errors in it, is technically false. So it's important to know, in the original manuscripts, they were perfect. And as translations have come out and we translated it into different languages, words have been added and taken away, but none that changed the meaning of Scripture. What I have before me today, what you have before you, what's written up there, is what God intended for us to read. He's smart enough. He knew language. Things were going to get lost and added in translation. He was strong enough to protect it from being changed in its integrity and in its theological uh, foundations and what it means. So that's what we believe about it being inspired. Number two on your note sheets. Number two. Supreme authority. Supreme authority. In our, uh, in our thing, we wrote, well, we didn't write, I didn't write this, whoever did. And that it has supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. Conduct. What does that mean? It is the basis for everything you say, you do, and you think. Now, does this mean that when you're sitting there watching the football game on Sunday afternoon, you should go, wow, look at that pass. You know, in Hebrews chapter 4, I think it talks about the slant route. No, it doesn't. But what it means is in your daily life and conduct, every decision that you make, is it based out of what Scripture says? Are you living your life the way Scripture says it should? And if you are having a question about something, and one way follows Scripture and one way does not, then there is no actual choice. The Bible is the supreme authority. It comes down to this, and I didn't write this on your note sheet, so if you want to write it down, you can. It comes down to your worldview. Do you have a Christian worldview or a biblical worldview, more, more is a better term for it, or a worldly worldview? Your worldview is the lens through which you see the world, right? It changes things. It shapes things. You can look through, a, if you're looking through a camera lens, the different types of lenses you use allow you to see different things. So what is the lens through which you see the world? Is it God and the Bible or is it culture and the world? If you believe, like we do, that the Bible has supreme authority, then you need to look at the world through it. And it doesn't matter what culture says, what friends say, what parents say, what your job says, what TV says, what anything says. 
if you are, are going to say the Bible is the supreme authority. And here's the thing, right? 2 Timothy 3, for teaching, rebuking, correction, and training in righteousness. It covers the whole thing. For you to become the person you are supposed to be, the Bible is the supreme authority. The buck stops there, right? The buck has to stop with somebody, right? In every meeting, in every job place, in every home, the buck stops with somebody. As a Christian, this is where the buck stops. With God, this is where the buck stops. God will never. I don't like to put God in too many boxes, except for the ones he puts himself in. God will never contradict his word. Never. It is his word. So if you are questioning whether God's telling you to do something, your very first step is to find out what it says in this book. Well, I think I should be in ministry. Great. This talks about ministry. I think my ministry is to go to the strip club. Nope. You missed it somewhere. But those girls need Jesus. Yes, they do. Get them when they're clothed. You know, I struggle with alcohol, but I feel a, a real calling to help out those people in the bar, so I'm just going to go. No, you've missed it. You know, I'm really good at music. Maybe I'm called to do music. Okay. Obviously, music in script is in Scripture. Great stuff. So then you can move on from there. Your first step is what does the Bible say about it? Whenever we make a decision as a board here uh, or, or in my personal life, we say, what does Scripture say? Does it directly go against what Scripture says? If it does, out the window. I don't care how beneficial it might be. I don't care if it brings millions of dollars into this building. It's out the window. It's off the table because Scripture says it's wrong. God will provide. Scripture says it's wrong, so we're not doing it. You want to be fully equipped? You've got to have this as your basic foundation for life, for your matters of faith and conduct. We fail quite often. I know I do, and I, I know you do too because you're humans. But this book is our very, our, our very foundation for everything, every decision we make, every route we take. It's the foundation for the next one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. The next eight pieces of that constitution is based out of this book. So let me ask you this as we're getting ready to close up here. If you do not believe one part of this book, you can look at me and say, Pastor, well, I believe 99.9% .9 of it, but that 0.1%, I just don't know. You don't believe any of this book. One part being wrong, you throw out the whole thing. You don't get to pick and choose what you think of this book. Let me rephrase that. You don't get to pick and choose which parts of this book you like and believe and which parts you don't. You might find the sacrilegious. I have a least favorite section of scripture. Everybody has their favorite verse, right? Mine's in Psalm 51. I have a least favorite section of scripture. It's Romans chapter 9. And in it we read that the Pharaoh did not have a choice to let his people to let God's people go because God was punishing Egypt and he hardened Pharaoh's heart. We sit there when we read the account in Genesis and we go, Pharaoh, learn your lesson, let him go after the first one. He literally could not because God made that choice.
It is the key section of scripture that defends the idea of predestination, that God did not just know who was going to choose him, he chose who was going to choose him. I can't stand that section of scripture. I hate it. How could God harden somebody's heart? I wrestled with that passage of scripture for three or four days. I didn't get any sleep. I was wrestling with it. I still to this day don't like it. But I had to make a choice. Am I going to believe 100% of this book or 0%? There's no middle ground. You don't get to choose 50%. It's 100 or it's 0. And I had to choose 100%. And it took me three or four days to work through it. God wasn't upset about that because we worked through it. He and I working together, and I asked him all kinds of questions, and I didn't get answers that I liked. In fact, in Romans 9, Paul asks the question. He's like, shouldn't, God, how can you do this? And he answers it by going, you're a stupid human. You don't get to choose this stuff. Let me paraphrase it for you. That's not an answer for me. Give me a real answer. That's the answer we're given. But if we're going to believe that this is the word of God, fully inspired, God breathed, in, without error in, it, in its original manuscripts and without theological error today, and is the basis for all acts of faith and, uh, and conduct, then I have to believe that all of it is, or none of it. And we here at First Baptist Church, including myself as your pastor, and all board members here, believe that it is. And we don't question it. We've all had moments of questioning. I'm not telling you not to work out your faith with fear and trembling. I'm not telling you not to work out things and ask God questions. What I'm telling you is, do you use this as your basis for everything or not? Because we do here at First Baptist. Now, I want to make one last thing clear before we're done. If you don't believe that, I'm not asking you to leave. In fact, I'm asking you to stay. So that as we walk through this word for however long God has me here, maybe we can just prove that it is the basis. And I want to point that out for all, it's nine in total, but the, the, the rest, the, the eight coming up. Just because you don't believe one of them, please do not think that means, well, I can't go to that church anymore. No. There are hills to die on. There are hills not to. This being the inspired word of God, that's one of them. We're going to die on it. I'll go to my grave defending that. There are some in here that, I'll go to my grave, but maybe not quite as hard. I believe them, but you know what? If you want to believe that, oh, we'll go with ordinances, because that's coming up. We believe there are two, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Some churches believe there are three. They include foot washing, and if you want to include foot washing, so be it. I'm not doing it, but you go ahead and wash somebody's feet as long as they are allowing it. I'm good. But that's one of the most important ones right here. Not the ordinances. This one, the Bible. Please stay. I'm not saying if you don't believe one of them, you got to go. No, no. But I want us all to understand what we as First Baptist Church believe. And we can go from there. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you for your word that is so strong, that is so good. I want to thank you that you have given us letters written over the course of hundreds if not thousands of years by people ranging from kings to tax collectors to farmers, fishermen, shepherds, all of these different walks of life. I want to thank you that you protected the, theologic, the, the theology in it. We understand the linguistic stuff, but the theology in it is exactly what you want for us. 
Father, help us to have a biblical worldview that we see the world through the lens of Scripture. And Father, give us safety on our way home this afternoon. Well, it's still morning. We praise you, Father. It's in the name of your Son we pray. Amen and amen.